This is an ABC podcast. Well, one thing the COVID-19 pandemic has exposed to the sunlight is leadership. The good, the bad and the downright ugly. So on this Working Life, we're digging into what makes a great leader in these challenging times. Have a listen to Arne Sorensen, CEO of the Marriott Group, addressing his staff recently via video. In two weeks, I will mark my eighth anniversary as CEO. As a leader, I've experienced so many wonderful highs and a good number of challenging lows. I can tell you that I have never had a more difficult moment than this one. There is simply nothing worse than telling highly valued associates, people who are the very heart of this company, that their roles are being impacted by events completely outside of their control. I've never been more determined to see us through than I am at this moment. While it's impossible to know how long this crisis will last, I know we as a global community will come through the other side and that when we do, our guests will be eager to travel this beautiful world again. When that great day comes, we will be there to welcome them with the warmth and care we are known for the world over. I'm Lisa Leong, and with me listening is Dr. Kirsten Ferguson. Kirsten is an expert in leadership. A former Air Force officer and lawyer, Kirsten did her PhD on leadership and serves on a number of boards. She's currently Deputy Chair of the ABC. Kirsten, that's an excerpt of a much longer address, but what did you think of Arne's approach? Oh, look, I think he epitomises the kind of leadership that we're really wanting to see right now. I think that clip that we heard, but if you watch the entire five-minute video, he's really decisive and courageous, but he mixes that with a massive dose of transparency and what I call emotional intelligence, which some of the listeners might be aware of, because I think he was candid and vulnerable, he's humble, but he really balanced it with a path forward for all of those who follow him or work within the Marriott, and he gave them a bit of a sense of reassurance that they're going to see this crisis through, and I think the reason I love that so much is it really epitomizes um, a concept called the Stockdale paradox which I'm not Mm. sure if you've heard of. Tell me more. (laughs) Yeah well it's this really interesting idea that came about from a guy called Admiral Jim Stockdale. Now he was the highest ranked US military prisoner of war in the infamous Hanoi Hilton during the Vietnam War. Right. And what he said was to say to his fellow prisoners of war that you must never confuse the faith that you'll prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose. So, you know, believing you will escape with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. And so it's this idea that you really have to believe that you will prevail, you know, have this real sureness of success while at the same time confronting the brutal facts of your situation. And in that speech, Arne Sorensen does that perfectly. He sets out the brutal facts really well. He explains how this crisis, the COVID-19 crisis is the worst to ever impact their 92-year-old company. But yet in the same breath, he shows this real sureness of success. He reinforces multiple times that he knows they're going to come through the other side and he wishes people a real sense of optimism. So I think this skill of being able to authentically, and that is a key word because people can smell an inauthentic leader a mile away, but if you can do it with compassion and humility, what it shows is that we need leaders who aren't just intellectually smart. So that's really important, sure, but I think right now in this crisis, as Arne Sorensen showed, is we need leaders who are self-aware, who can show empathy, and, you know, that is emotional intelligence. So 
if you are a leader who has to deliver the brutal facts, as it were, what is the best way to do this? How do you tap into that emotional intelligence, Kirsten? Yeah, and, you know, it's not something I think you're necessarily born with. Sure, some people are and it comes easier to them, but I think all leaders can learn these skills. And I think the first thing that leaders need to be able to do is trust the people that they're leading. So trust that they can handle hearing the brutal facts, whatever they might be. And I think there's a tendency, certainly we saw it initially in this crisis in some areas, that old-fashioned idea of let's not panic people, you know, let's not give them all the information because it might set off the horses for want of a better term. That's not what's needed. So you need leaders that are prepared to trust that their people can handle what they've got to share. And then those leaders need to have really high levels of empathy. So the people they lead are scared. You know, they're anxious for good reason. Um, It's not as though anything is being imagined. They genuinely feel their health and the lives of their families are at risk. So as leaders, you really need to set aside your ego. Uh, No one knows the answers to how to deal with this crisis perfectly. And then those leaders really need to lead with authenticity and humility and vulnerability. And Arne Sorensen showed that he got quite emotional. He didn't come to tears, but you could tell he genuinely was just feeling quite vulnerable about what his people were having to go through. And all of that comes with transparency. So every leader right now needs to be really transparent. Um, I've referred to it as extreme transparency, (laughs) really sharing the brutal facts of the situation and not being afraid to do that. And if you trust that the people you lead can hear it, in turn, they'll trust you. And I think trust is just a critical element of this particular crisis. And how, as a leader, can you gain people's trust? You know, you earn trust and that has to happen step by step. I think the more vulnerable you can be, the more willing you are to say you don't know all the answers, the more able you are to make mistakes and not let that paralyse you, the fear of making a mistake, you will gain trust by saying to the people that you're leading, look, this is the best answer I've got today. I'm not sure exactly if this is going to be the right way forward, but this is what I believe is the best way forward for us right now. And then really listen to the people you lead. Let's talk about, I don't know if you can say pet peeve, but what are the things that don't work for leadership? Oh, I think uh, right now when we're in a crisis, minimising people's concerns is something that is not helpful. So uh, early on in the crisis, I think when we were seeing the toilet paper panics, see memes and people laughing at those taking toilet paper, and then that escalated to pleas for people not to hoard toilet paper. But if you go Mm. back to the first sort of people that thought I need to, you know, get as much toilet paper as I can, I think understanding what their fears were would have been helpful rather than um, ridiculing them because the the fact is something was driving that behaviour and it was an anxiety that may have been irrational to some people but in their minds it's not. And as a leader you really have to display empathy and all of those behaviours and decisions are coming from somewhere and the better you can understand them, the better you can help people overcome those fears and really speak to them directly and um, help them through it. 
So perhaps telling people to stay calm is <laughs> totally, not serving the right purpose. Totally counterproductive. So um, <laughs> as you know, you know, if you walk past a policeman and he says, uh, you know, or he or she, move along, there's nothing to see here, <laughs> you automatically know, <laughs> right, I really want to know what there is to see there. Uh, exactly the same here is telling people to stay calm is counterproductive. Understanding the facts, feeling some level of control in terms of being able to understand okay here's the brutal facts it comes back to that stockdale paradox here's the brutal facts this is as bad as you know my leaders are expecting it's going to get it's really hard to hear but that's where we're at however this is how we're going to get through it and i think as a leader you need to be able to really understand the nuance of balancing those two factors you're listening to this working life I'm Lisa Leong, and helping us navigate good leadership in these challenging times is leadership expert, Dr. Kirsten Ferguson. So let's get into some specifics. What's your message to leaders who are struggling with managing a remote workforce? Well, that is a real challenge, isn't it? Because there's so many leaders who this is a brave new world. You know, there's Mm. a whole group of people who have been doing it for some time and you can see them very um, proudly going, yeah, welcome (laughs) to our world. Uh, But for other leaders, they've never known anything other than having their people that they lead physically in the same room as them and being able to supervise, for want of a better word, what they're doing. I think for those leaders who have been perhaps more focused on having people at their desks as opposed to outcomes, they're going to really need to adjust their way of thinking. And I know I've talked a lot about trust, but again, this comes totally down to trust. You need to trust that the people you're leading are as focused on getting through this crisis and as um, committed to their jobs as you are and trust that they will be working hard to make sure that everything they're delivering is just as if they were sitting in an office physically in front of you. And I just don't think the world of work will perhaps ever go back to the way it was. So this is a time now to really think about how you can adjust, I guess, to this new normal, which I know is an overused term, but some semblance of this remote working, I think, will remain with us in a much greater way for the future. Well, let's flip it now. What happens if it's your manager or your leader who's feeling overwhelmed and anxious because they probably are? What do you do? Yeah, now that is a difficult one. I mean, I would hope that you're working in an environment or a culture where having those kind of open conversations are easy, but presumably if you have a leader where you feel that's the case, that might not be as easy. I do think for followers... We need to show empathy as well for our leaders to a degree. So for every leader in the world, this is not something they've been trained for. This is not a crisis anyone has any experience in leading through. And even if you have led through crises, none of them are like this. So I think having some patience and empathy for our leaders is a good start. And I think there's some ways that um, if you're a team member, you can check in with your manager or supervisor or team um, mate and say, how are you going with things? You know, how are you finding it? How are you finding our teams operating, you know, in this new way? What do you think we can do differently? And, you know, hopefully if you can ask questions in a, a less 
confrontational way, but really, again, putting ego to the side and just trying to work to a solution, you should be able to have a beneficial conversation. If all else fails, though, and if you're a team member really struggling with how your leader might be operating in this brave new world, I think it's worthwhile talking to other team members and perhaps thinking of a way as a team you can have a conversation around this with the goal being that you all get through this as successfully as possible. New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern has taken an unusual approach using social media to reach her people. She recently did a Facebook post in her tracksuit, checking in with her followers. Does that work for leaders? I have to say yes, not all the time. (laughs) Look, I loved that Facebook Live. Again, I'd encourage anyone to just go and watch it. The reason... I loved it is because it was real so we talk about authenticity she she says I've just put my toddler to bed and this is what I wear she's sitting on a sofa with a knee up you know she honestly looks like she's just having a conversation with you across from the sofa that is exactly um, in that context what worked really well because she was taking questions from New Zealanders on Facebook Live about their concerns and anxieties and answering them as best she could I don't think it's what's needed all the time. I think emotionally intelligent leaders know when to adapt, as I said, their their leadership style. I think you do need times where, and we've certainly seen it with Jacinda Ardern, where she's at a podium, very decisive, um, a very bold leader making strong decisions and communicating them in no uncertain terms. But the fact that you can also see her and respect her as a leader in her tracksuit on her sofa is something that's really powerful and important. And I think it's a reminder for leaders that we are the whole of us. We're not just the person that might be seen in public or in a meeting in a you know, work clothes. One of the things I've loved about how we're adapting to this crisis is all of the Zoom meetings I'm doing, all of the calls, you know, we're all in our home clothes, T-shirts and tracksuit pants or whatever it might be. You are seeing all of us, the real person, work and our home life has totally merged. And I think this is a good thing. I think it's something that we should embrace. I think it makes us more human. Um, I think for leaders, it's freeing in some ways. It allows you to be yourself and be that sort of vulnerable human leader that people are craving. Thank you so much, Kirsten. Thank you. Stay well. Dr. Kirsten Ferguson. Kirsten's an expert in leadership, a former Air Force officer and lawyer, and she's currently deputy chair of the ABC. Huey did a guest appearance. So cute. (laughs) I was hoping he'd behave, but he seems to want to make an appearance in everything I'm doing at the moment. (laughs) I didn't go and uh, panic buy toilet paper, but I have to admit I panicked bought a puppy. Um, You know, obviously I've now got it for the next 15 years and I'm very happy about that. A crucial part of good leadership is getting your messaging right internally and externally, lest you become a corona meme. Jane Dullard is a communications specialist who has worked extensively in crisis communications. Welcome, Jane. Hi, Lisa. Look, there was a survey asking what people found to be the most credible source of information around the pandemic. What was that survey and what did it find? 
It was conducted by Edelman, the global PR firm who's been for 20 years now running the Trust Barometer Survey. Um, they did it in early March, from March 6 to 10, just a quick snapshot of 10,000 respondents across 11 countries, an astonishing outcome that the most credible source for coronavirus information was my employer. My so, employer? Yeah, so not governments, not health officials, not health organisations, not not-for-profits. Yeah, my employer, most credible source. So what's the implication of that, Jane? I think the implication is that, and I mean, to an extent, this finding is consistent with what the Edelman Trust Barometer has been finding for, for two decades now, which has been declining trust, particularly in Western democracies, in governments and the media, and a sort of erratically rising level of trust and confidence in CEOs and the people that we work for, the companies we work for, um, and in particular an expectation that CEOs and business leaders will take more of a standard, a more prominent stand on social environmental issues. So it's not completely out of the blue when you look at it in that context, but I think right. what it means for organisations and businesses is that they have the ear and the trust of their employees and that they actually have the potential, I think, now to have a bigger conversation with their workforce about coronavirus, about how their employees respond to coronavirus, not just while they're working, but also while they're going about their business as to the extent that they can, of course, as citizens. So what examples do you have then of good leadership in the business world? Yeah, look, what I can't see at the moment, apart from my own clients, is how organisations are talking to their employees. And I think that's really the, that's the pointy end of communications at the moment, particularly when businesses are dealing with things like staff layoffs and stand downs. But a couple of examples that I think have done, have done well. And I, but I'll note before I say that as a caveat, Lisa, that it's not really crisis communications in the normal sense at the moment, because normally when you're responding to a crisis, it's a crisis of your making. You, know, you or someone in your organisation has done something wrong. And there's a mea culpa. And so that apology part is really important. Most organisations don't have to do that at the moment. Um, so just sort of note that it's a little bit different there. They're, we're all sort of victims and thus the, we're in it together. With that in mind, Brad Banducci, who's the CEO of Woolworths, I think did a really good job because he did actually have a bit of a crisis on his hands. He had a situation where panicked shoppers were going to his supermarkets and threatening the safety of his staff, um, not to mention putting, uh, you know, unprecedented strain on his supply chain. So he really needed to do something about that. And he did um, a big sort of media spray in which he just asked people to be nice to his staff. He used some really good lines around um, reassuring consumers that we don't have a supply issue, that 85% of our food products uh, come from Australia, that they're grown or manufactured here and you don't need to buy double what you normally buy. And I think he said something like, buy what you need and a little bit extra and you'll be okay. But whatever you do, treat our staff with respect and courtesy because they're trying their best under very difficult circumstances. So I thought that was that was great leadership, really good messaging and he did it with real diligence. It was very thorough, very comprehensive. The second one that I'll mention um, because they're such a big Australian brand and we're always, uh, you know, sort of half looking for them to to fail and for their leader, Alan Joyce, to say the wrong thing, was, uh, was Qantas, of course. And they got off to a terrible start. The first email that I received from Qantas as a, as a consumer, mm. a, a, a frequent flyer with Qantas, was an email that said, you're no more likely to catch the flu on a flight than you are anywhere else, which was mm. a really... Uh, self-interested but you know, see-through attempt to shore up declining business. 
which is very, very early on. So that was a bit of a bop at the yeah. beginning. So what, think, did, what did it trigger for you, though? What was your reaction to that? That you're making it about you instead of about mm. me. And that's the wrong that's the wrong sound and the wrong look for, for, for any communications, really, but particularly in, in a crisis. But I think they recovered pretty well. The next sort of follow-up comms was around travel credits for any booked flights, and then there were very few caveats on that. So that was that was the good when we when we're worried and we're fearful, what we want from businesses and from leaders is certainty. Even if there's not a lot of it around, we want them to find that certainty and present it to us. And so that that achieved that, I think you'll be able to use that flight at another time when things are back to normal. Yeah. Um, and then the difficult news about standing down such a huge part of their workforce, 20,000 people for Qantas and Jetstar, difficult news but contextualised, I think, well by uh, Alan Joyce, his senior executive team and board pay foregoing at least parts of their pay, and in some cases all of it, um, and a really good explanation of why they had to do that. So I think to the extent that you can make such bad news palatable, Qantas and Alan Joyce in particular did that quite well. And what sort of mindset did Qantas uh, and Alan bring to that one then that made it more successful, do you think? I think, you know, any really effective communication, whether it's between individuals or at an organisational level or, or, or to the public, has to talk about two things. It has to talk about the facts and it has to talk about feelings. And, and Kirsten sort of touched on this as well um, very eloquently. If there has been a calculation behind the scenes, a, a numbers crunching to let you not to help you decide what to do, you actually need to share some of those numbers with your audience. Um, that transparency is what gives you credibility. You're not making stuff up. You're not taking advantage of a situation to uh, deliver on an agenda that you've held for some time. You're responding to what is what is needed. And so revealing information about how long you can keep going, what the costs are. That sort of stuff is always really strong in a situation like this, and Qantas has done that reasonably well. Um, Joyce made it clear that they that the business could keep running for a very long time, but only if they reduced their salary impact right now. So I think that was good. He also talked about um, nervousness. He talked about how his staff are responding to the news. He talked a little bit, and he's you know as a numbers guy, but he talked a little bit about how he felt personally, and I think those are the things we're always looking out for. You want to see a leader's vulnerability. You want to hear them um, concede where they don't know and what they're not sure about. We want to understand the calculations behind their decisions. We want to see what those facts are that have led them to that point. I think he did that really well. And who should be giving these messages? Is it an HR thing or a CEO thing? I mean, if you're talking, you know, from the organisation to the public, then it should always, I think it should always be the CEO. I think there are very few circumstances where it should be anyone else unless um, it's the chair of the board, I guess. Mm. Um, what gets more difficult for organisations now is what's happening internally, particularly as the crisis um, moves into a fairly prolonged you know, time frame where they have to keep talking to people for a very long time when the news as such might not have changed where the novelty has worn off and people are just in that sort of dread, grind, boring mm. phase of the crisis, how do you keep talking then? And that's going to devolve down to managers a lot of the time. I think that's where it gets a little bit trickier. Any tips then for managers? Um, yeah, look, I think <laughs> managers are often ill-equipped to have difficult conversations. They've, they've often been subject matter experts or technical experts. They're often now managing teams of people that used to be their peers and there's a whole lot of stuff there that would be great to unpack, you know, really clearly in a really 
explicit way as part of their professional development, I don't think that happens very often. So noting that it's a that it's a hard job if you're a manager, I think the main thing is to, wherever there is tension, and this is around you know what happens when people work from home as well as it is around what is the new company news, is to lean into tension. Now wherever there is a difficulty, a slight <laughs> tight feeling in your stomach when you contemplate talking about something, that's mm-hmm. actually the stuff that you need to talk about most of all most urgently and most clearly. What channels are you using then as a manager to ask those questions? Channels, is such, that's a really great question, Lisa, because we get really hung up on channels and I think that the channels matter much less than the content does. I think what you say to people when you say it and the credibility that you have when you say it are really, really important. I think whether you do that via an email or a hookup on Teams or a Zoom call, or, or a phone call individually to people, which is probably the best, in fact, matters less than what it is that you say and when you say it. And the when needs to be right now. Um, you know, I always tell my clients that there are three things you have to think about when you're communicating. It's timeliness, relevance and credibility. And the timeliness means that you talk about it when they need to hear about it, not when it's been through an approvals process higher up in the business or not when you've had more time to think about what words you're going to use or how you're going to answer a difficult question. So if they're talking about it now and thinking about it now, you need to talk about it now. Thank you so much, Jane. Glad to talk to you. Communications specialist, Jane Dullard. And to hear more really useful information on how to navigate this brave new world of work, check out our previous episodes, including tips on how to do video conferencing without making a fool of yourself and how to co-work with your partner and kids. This Working Life is produced by Maria Tickle. This week, she's in jeans. Very fancy. I'm Lisa Leong, and until next week, keep working. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.